The Courage to Lead, Episode 77. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest. Please help me welcome Wayne Mullins. Wayne is a passionate entrepreneur committed to creating remarkable experiences and building a team at Ugly Mug Marketing that produces extraordinary results for their clients. Wayne has been called the guru's guru as he is regularly called upon for advice from industry-leading CEOs, New York Times bestselling authors, and Silicon Valley startups. He loves helping entrepreneurs challenge their assumptions, create value from places they've never looked, and reach goals they never believed possible. He's personally worked with clients in 91 different industries from 34 states and 11 countries. Ugly Mug Marketing, which Wayne founded 10 years ago, has won the praise of some of the leading influencers in the business world, such as Neil Patel, founder of Quick Sprout and Kissmetrics, Chris Voss, New York Times bestselling author of Never Split the Difference, and Ari Weinswig, the co-founder of Zingerman's Community of Businesses. Wayne's work directly influences more than a quarter million entrepreneurs annually through his blog, books, and training programs. He's a husband, father of four, and currently living in Pineville, Louisiana. Wayne, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Coach Arlen. I'm looking forward to our chat today. Absolutely. No, this is going to be great. Um, and I, I told you when we talked the other day, you guys, your offices are in Alexandria, Louisiana. And my wife and I spent quite a while down there working for Clico, the Central Louisiana Electric Company, right? Yeah, that is correct. Um, I can say that out of all the podcasts I've had the privilege of being a guest on, I think you're the first host who ever even knew where Alexandria, Louisiana was. <laughs> so not only do you know where, where it is, but you happen to have been here. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. We're going to uh, get into how you got started, um, how you founded Ugly Mug Marketing, uh, some of the companies you're working for. And at some point, we're going to turn to courage and leadership. Uh, but before we get started, I've got some icebreaker questions. These are questions I ask all of my guests. Um, from the television show Inside the Actor's Studio, these are the questions that the host, James Lipton, asked his Hollywood guests, people from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if these questions are good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, I've got 10 questions for you, sir. Question number Let's one. All right. What is your favorite word? My favorite word is consistency. Nice. What is your least favorite word? I'm, I'm going to cheat and, and say two words. It's a, it's a short phrase. Well, but so typically <laughs> yes. there's an excuse that follows after that. Exactly. All right. What turns you on? New, fresh, out of the box ideas. Nice. And what turns you off? Monotony. Same thing over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, what sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of feet walking down a gravel road. Hmm. Interesting. What sound or noise do you hate? Um, I hate the sound of a lot of kids screaming and 
playing in the background. I, it's hard for me to pay attention. It's hard for me to concentrate because I always think something is happening that I need to attend to. What's worse than when it, when it goes quiet, <laughs> that's when you know something's <laughs> happening. Absolutely. Um, number seven, what is your favorite curse word? Well, I, I do keep it, um, PG or G I've got four young kids and, um, one of my words is consistency. So I want to be the same person at work, at the office as I am at home. So I don't have one. Okay. I will accept that. Absolutely. Um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I think I would love to um, attempt a more serious career in writing. So I've written you know, a little bit here and there, but um, maybe diving into that a bit more seriously, I think that would be a fun and challenging endeavor. Excellent. And what uh, profession would you not like to do? Probably be an accountant. <laughs> Way too many details for me. Yeah, same here. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Uh, two words. Well done. Well done. Good job. All right. Uh, like I said, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about how you got started. Uh, the creation of Ugly Mug Marketing, what you guys have been up to, and uh, talk a little bit about courage and leadership. All right. So we will be back right after this message. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And we're back with my guest, Wayne Mullins. Wayne, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, tell me how you got started. Tell me a little bit about uh, your life before Ugly Mug. Sure, absolutely. So my life, um, as it directly relates or is influenced into Ugly Mug Marketing, actually began when I was a junior in college. And for some reason, I don't know why, my parents gave me some CDs by this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar, through those CDs, sold me on the profession of selling. So at that point, I decided that as soon as I graduate, I'm going to go get a job selling something. I didn't care what it was. I had to have a job in sales. Um, so fast forward a little bit, um, I took a job in sales and to be honest with you, coach Harlan, for those first, probably six months to, you know, maybe a year, I was absolutely terrible. I, I couldn't sell anything. I struggled. Um, but I was a student, right? Zig talked about being a student and continuing learning. So I was pouring myself into this, this profession of sales and trying to learn how to effectively sell. And so over the next two years, I actually got really good at selling. And I don't know if you or some of your listeners can relate to this or identify with this, but uh, it got to the point where I would look at my paycheck and then I would look at the amount of revenue that I was bringing in for the company. And this dangerous idea pops in my head. Huh, if I'm making this much money for them, what if I actually went and sold something for myself? And I don't know if anybody else can relate to that, but oh, that yes. can be a um, <laughs> dangerous thought to think. Yep. So that was a thought that ran through my head. 
Um, I knew at that point that I wanted to go do something, quote unquote, on my own, sell something for myself. So I did what any wise young person would do. I sat down and started listing out all of the, all of the skills that I could have that I could go out and sell to people. And Coach Harlan, that list was extremely short. The list consisted of cutting grass. That was it. That was the only skill that, <laughs> that I'd had up to that point, other than selling, obviously. And so much to the dismay of um, my parents and some other friends and colleagues, I decided to leave a corporate sales job, eight to five, Monday through Friday, all the benefits and go start from scratch a lawn and landscape company. Now, for listeners not familiar with Louisiana, um, Louisiana in the summertime is not the most pleasurable place to be. You know, so literally from the time you walk out the door in the morning, you're soaking wet with sweat and it lasts that way all day long. So it was miserable. But over the course of a three-year period, I took that company from zero and I scaled it to, we were in the top three largest lawn and landscape companies in this region. Nice. And at that point, um, I ended up selling the company and, you know, it was in that process, in the process of growing the lawn and landscape company that, um, I actually had a lot of our clients of that company come to me and say, we see how fast you're growing. We see, you know, how you're scaling the business. Can you tell us what you're doing? Like teach us how you're able to do that. And the answer for the most part was the marketing that we were doing was enabling us to to grow at the rate we were growing. And it was out of those initial conversations that ugly mug marketing would eventually be born. And you said, um, you consider yourself an out of the box, against the grain, risk-taking thinker. I, I think we need more thinkers. Is that what companies are looking for? <laughs> that, that's a that's a trick question, I think, Coach Harlan, because one of the early lessons I learned at Ugly Mug Marketing was this: that when you attempt to push someone too far out of their comfort zone, too far out of the box, you are met with a lot of resistance. Mm-hmm. And so what was happening was I was ending up spending all of my time, energy, and effort trying to convince clients to pursue these wild and crazy marketing campaigns. And they were so far out of their comfort zone that they weren't willing to go there. Um, So what I've learned over time is this. Number one, I have to identify, my team has to identify what are the perimeters of their comfort zone? Where are those edges? And then what we want to do is we want to push them to the edge of that comfort zone, and then slowly lead them beyond that. Now, if we do it the other way, we're met with a lot of resistance, a lot of pushback, and ultimately a lot of wasted time on both parties. Yeah. So uh, can you tell us one of the campaigns you've done or one of the things you've done for a company that kind of pushed them to the edge? Sure, absolutely. Um, So one of the campaigns that we did, um, it was a regional nonprofit organization. And they were attempting to get a certain message to high schoolers in the region. And so we actually developed a fictitious superhero. Um, we created an actual character. Um, this, if you think of, you know, your traditional superheroes, you know, all of the Marvel comic heroes, all of the other mm-hmm. ones, um, it would be that guy, but a lousy version of that guy. <laughs> and so we created this character we um, hired an actor to play the part. We designed a costume for the person and we then scripted an entire language, an entire vocabulary, an entire story about how this character came to be. 
And then we actually had this character appear in all of the regional high schools going during lunch breaks and pitching the message. That's wild. How did that go over? A little bit of, little bit of resistance or? Yeah, initially a, an immense amount of resistance. Um, but what I can say is this, that um, that particular campaign has been so successful that we are now in the 12th year of wow. that same campaign. Wow. Because again, hindsight, I could have I could have approached the sales process a lot different. In other words, the pitching of the idea a lot different, and it would have made a lot less hair pulling on both sides. Um, but that would be an example of of pushing the box, pushing the envelope, and trying to do something different. That is awesome. But that is what companies are looking for. They want to stand out. They want to be noticed, right? There's so much noise out there. There's so much uh, people. Almost every industry market is, is crammed with people. You have to stand out some way, right? Yeah, absolutely. If if you do not capture attention, right, of whatever audience, whatever marketplace you're going after, um, the reality is it won't be long before you're out of business. Um, that's simply because we live in a world now where every single human being, every single listener listening to this has a device that they carry in their purse or in their pocket that is now this form of broadcasting. So they can broadcast a message to the world. And if we blend in, we lose. We lose the ability to have other people talk about us in positive, remarkable ways. Yeah. So what are some of the things that the companies are looking for? Is it just, I mean, uh, social media? I mean, a lot of people use Facebook and, and say LinkedIn for business. Are you guys, do you help them with their Instagram presence? Do you help them with some of the other social media presence? Yeah, we, we sure do. So. You know, our, our method or our approach is this, that we don't necessarily come in the door with a specific recommendation. Um, we first want to do some research and, and we kind of believe in what we would call the marketing triangle. And so, you know, if you just think of a triangle, mm-hmm. um, the very first thing we want to do is we want to fully understand the top of the triangle, which is the market. So we have to understand who we are trying to reach, who they are trying to reach. The next point, so if you move down to the bottom right point on the triangle, that would then be the message. So number one, we cannot craft the message until we fully understand the market. And the language we love to use, you know, so a lot of your listeners are probably familiar with the term customer avatar. So we're going to build this, you know, fictitious character, this fictitious person of our ideal client. But we love to take that one step further and say this, that you or I, should be able to write the page from our client's personal journal. And so what I mean by that is this, imagine your ideal client waking up in the morning, they're wiping the sleep from their eyes, they're stumbling over to their desk or wherever they're gonna write in their journal and they flip it open and today's page is already filled out. And as they start reading that, they can't believe that it's so accurate. They can't believe that someone could know so much about them that they could write that page. That is how well you, that is how well I need to know our market. When we truly know our markets like that, we can craft messages that cut through the clutter. We can craft messages that go straight to the heart and speak to them. And then the last point on that triangle, the the bottom left point there would be, then we choose the media or the medium that we're going to use to communicate. Because until we know our market, until we know where they congregate, LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, not on the internet. And until we know how to say the right thing, we can't choose 
the right platform to go to or the right medium to use. So that's our triangle that we that we use to kind of identify where to go with clients. No, that's great. Uh, working with some of my clients, we uh, I, I did a, a little webinar for them talking about um, who do you think you're talking to? <laughs> because a lot of mm-hmm. them will spend so much money to get a website done. And the website is all about themselves. Here's how long I've been in business, how many certifications I have. You know, uh, we've been in the same location a hundred years. My granddaddy started the job. It's None of that stuff really matters until you make that connection with the, the customer. If the customer says, this person understands me and has a solution, now all that other stuff comes into play. No, absolutely. That's so good. So you also say in, in um, and I think I got this off of, uh, I think I got this off LinkedIn, that you like to lead from the heart and you're passionate and unapologetic about doing so. What does leading from the heart mean? And what is, why is that important? Yeah, I think all too often, you know, entrepreneurs specifically, that we, you know, we fall so in love with this thing, our baby, the thing that we're created, the thing that we're building, um, that that is where our love lies, right? It lies with that creation, the things that, that we built. And I think all too often, as we start building out our team, building out our company, building out the culture, that we lose sight of the fact that our love now has to shift. It has to be directed over to the people that work alongside us. And, you know, for the longest time, Coach Harlan, what I would say is that, you know, I ignored culture. I ignored building a team. I just thought, you know, you hire great people, you put them in the role, you know, you, you, you point them in the right direction and everything else is going to take care of itself. Mm-hmm. And I learned the hard way that that's not true. You know, culture comes from the same Latin word as cultivate meaning you have to work it. It has to be worked for it to be a productive soil, right? And so for for me, leading from the heart means I have to step back and I have to look at where we're heading as a company. I have to look at how each person plays a role in that and supporting them in terms of their unique abilities, their weaknesses, their gifts, you know, all of those things play into that. So uh, you talk about the the superhero. If you could name one superpower of ugly mug marketing, what would be your superpower? So what I would say, Coach Harlan, is this, that, you know, we live in an industry that is bombarded with a lot of cliches. So I would say that our superpower is the ability to strip away a lot of these cliches, a lot of these buzzwords, and to focus really on the one thing that matters for our clients, and that is results. You know, so in our industry, the marketing world, um, there's two specific types of language that take place. Number one is around what we would call vanity metrics. So those are, you know, the number of impressions, the reach, the frequency, the number of likes, the number, you know, conversations, all these things. And yes, those things matter. But if they're not leading to something more, then they're vanity metrics. The other one is what we call checklist marketing. And that is where, you know, they say, okay, we're going to do five Facebook posts. We're going to do 10 blog posts. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. And they check all the check boxes and they say, you know, here's what we did this month. Isn't it great? Isn't it wonderful? Next month, we're going to do the same thing. And so for us, our superpower is stripping all that away and focusing on what's, what's beyond all that. What is the end result that people are after? Exactly. Yeah. Cause there's lead measurements and lag measurements, right? You can lead say, Hey, we're going to put in five posts. That's great. You've done your job, but now let's measure at the end. What are the results of this? 
you know, how do you, how do you guys track that? The results that you get from blog posts and, and Facebook posts and things like that? It's a great question. I, I would say that it varies from client to client. Um, you know, for most of our work that we do, it's for profit. Although we do have some nonprofit clients, it's mostly for profit. And so the end result, the main thing that these clients are after is more revenue, more profit. I'll, you know, we don't necessarily control profit, although we do have conversations you know, from time to time about profit and profit margin. Um, so some of our clients actually share their QuickBooks with us. So we're able to see sales figures. Others share their POS, you know, the, the sales coming in every single day. Um, so it varies client to client, but the more transparent they can be with us about what matters most to them, the more we can adjust and fine tune to help drive what matters most. Nice. Very cool. And yeah, working with my clients, I'm, I'm always telling them to, to niche down a little bit, right? A lot of times businesses say, well, I can sell to anybody. I can work with anybody. I can help anybody, but that doesn't, you, you can't really focus in. I can't give you a referral if you tell me everybody, right? So we ask them to niche down. Um, and focus on that client avatar. Do you guys have a specific avatar, a specific type company or industry you work with? Yeah. So what I would say is, you know, over the years, that's been something that I've struggled with personally, you know, as the quote unquote leader, um, trying to identify who do we serve best. And, you know, over the years, we've, we've literally worked with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of individual clients. And I kept going back to who, who do we work best with? And what I finally came to the realization through talking with my team is that we work best with growth-minded entrepreneurs. So whether that's nonprofit, whether that's for-profit, you know, they have an entrepreneurial mindset, which is not every business owner, by the way. True. Not every business owner has that entrepreneurial mindset. And then secondly, they are growth-minded. Um, so it's the combination of those two things that we look for. Nice. Very cool. So how many employees do you have working for you right now? We have 10. 10. And are they full-time? Are they remote or virtual or? Yep. So um, all of them are full-time. As of next week, they will all be full-time. Um, we have all of them here in Alexandria, except for one who was here for a few years and now lives in the Raleigh Journal area. Okay. Um, so everyone else is, is right here in downtown Alexandria. Awesome. Very cool. So if I was to be walking down the street in downtown Alexandria and bump into one of your uh, employees and stuff and ask them what kind of leader you are, what do you think they'd say? What kind of leader are you? Um, I would say that the, the most common response would be a leader who pushes them and challenges them to be better. And that's, what, that, that's our job as leaders, right? to make more leaders, to push them, to remove whatever barriers and help them be as successful as possible. That's awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's a, that, that is not by accident. So again, I'm not trying to, to compliment myself, but what I would say is that, you know, over the last four years, I have been extremely intentional about working on myself as a leader. Um, you know, I would say that, you know, I, I've, I've been a reader for a long time. Um, and I would say over the last four years, you know, probably 80 plus percent of the books I've read have been leadership culture based books, because again, I'm a student of it. Um, and if I'm unwilling to practice what I'm preaching, I'm not that great of a leader. So I'm, I'm doing it firsthand. Excellent. 
Um, any books stand out for you? Any books you'd recommend leadership? Yeah, there's a, yeah, there, there's a bunch. Um, the first one that comes to mind is called rehumanizing the workplace. It's by a gentleman of the name, Chuck Blakeman. Um, that will, that book will rock your world. If you're used to reading all the traditional leadership books, that one will rock your world. Okay. Um, phenomenal book. Um, another one, the, the four disciplines of execution. Okay. Another great one. I think Sean Covey is one of the authors of that one. Um, that's a great one. Um, any of the, any of the books by Ari Weinswig and Zingerman's company, um, he's got a series of four business specific books. Um, you know, the first one's building a better business. That's great. The next one is, um, leading, I don't remember the exact title, but it's about leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, the third book is called managing ourselves. Phenomenal. It's probably my favorite in that series. Um, it's, it's a huge book, 400 plus pages, I think all about how to better manage ourselves. It's wonderful. So any of his works are are great around this, around this leadership and culture topics. Awesome. I can see my Amazon bill going up right now (laughs) because I love, I I've got a Kindle. It's bursting at the seams. I've got books. Um, and there's just so many of them out there. It's hard to keep up with, with one. So I, yeah, I like the recommendations though. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, courage. Where did you find the courage to go out on your own? I mean, you had the the good job, the sales job and everything like that. Um, and I, I was in the same position as you. I was working for a couple different consulting companies and seeing they were building me out, you know, big, big bucks. And I was making a little fraction of that. And I thought, well, wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm doing all the work. Um, but where did you, a lot of people never, never make that that move. They don't take that step. They're comfortable in that nine to five, somebody else taking the responsibility and the stress. Where did you find the courage to step out and say, I'm going to do this on my own? I'm going to give you two different answers, Coach Arlen. I I think the first one is my perspective of what I actually thought at the time of making that decision to leave that corporate job. Um, And then the second one is kind of in hindsight, now that I've learned a lot more, what I think was actually true at the time. So when I was going through that, I think what gave me the courage to actually walk away from that job um, was all of the failure that I went through that first year in sales. So I was an abysmal failure, right? But I kept pushing forward. I kept trying different things. I kept learning. And what I discovered through that process was that everything can be figured out, right? Everything can be learned. Um, And so that gave me the confidence and the courage to step out and to walk away from a phenomenal salary from all the benefits and literally go to zero. Um, but now in hindsight, looking back, the other thing that I would say is that uh, I've learned there's a big difference between risk and recklessness. And so that difference, um, you know, for so many people, when we go to make a, a decision like that, we think we're being reckless, right? We think we're throwing everything away. We, we call it risk. We, we, we say we're going to take a risk, but in our heads, we're thinking we're being reckless for throwing everything away. The reality is that, you know, if I had um, failed in the lawn care business, I could have gone and gotten another sales job. So that decision wasn't permanent. Um, I've since heard the example that Amazon uses. They use the analogy of a two-way door versus a one-way door. Okay. And so when we make decisions, you know, anytime it's a two-way door that we can go through and come back if necessary, yeah, there may be pain, there may be regret, there may be some scars along the way, sure. but if we can go back, um, 
that's taking a risk. That's not being reckless. So that's the long answer to the short question, but totally. but I think it's those, that combination of things. Absolutely. No, I think the, the good answer is because I just talked to a guy the other day, um, started his business and he knew he wanted to start the business, had a great idea for the business. He said, I'm, I'm going to give myself three months. I'm going to rent a space. I'm going to get some interns. So keep the cost down. I'm going to get used furniture, you know, buy a couple computers and we'll see. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, I can always sell everything. And I've only lost, you know, a couple grand. So that two-way door you were talking about, you always have a way to, to go back. And I think that's good. I just think some people, they look at the door and they're afraid of what's on the other side and they just don't want to take that chance. Yeah. What I would, what I would say is, um, you know, you always have to look at your circumstances as well. Um, you know, so at the time when I walked away from that job, I was married, but we didn't have any kids at the time. Um, so that plays a huge factor in sure. my equation. So, you know, now I've got four, four young kids. So um, things would weigh differently in my decision-making. But again, at the end of the day, that would still be a reversible decision. So I could always go back if necessary. Well, you've proven you can do it, right? So if something were to happen, you know, you can always go back and do something else. So would you ever go back into sales? Well, you're actually in sales now, I, aren't you? I was, yeah, I was going to say, I think so much of what we do is sales, um, you know, not just selling our products or services that we offer, but but for our clients, um, you know, the ability to bring our skill set into others, help them learn to systematize their sales processes, help them learn to formalize those things, even though that's not what we're quote unquote there to do, right? We're there to to market the company. Um, being able to bring that additional benefit to them is, is hugely beneficial for both sides. Absolutely. Yeah. And systematizing that's, that's way up my alley. That's what I love to do with businesses. Cause so many times they just do things as they come up. There's no system. When somebody, they hire somebody new, they say, well, hey, go work with Bob and do what Bob does. Right. Well, Bob could be doing it wrong. <laughs> now you've got these people doing it wrong. And then you've got, you know, third generation, fourth generation doing it wrong. Putting those systems in place are, are huge. Um, for you guys, do you have systems in place for ugly mug? Yeah, absolutely. So we have systems for every single department. So we have three, you know, big bucket departments, marketing websites and social media and every single one of those, I'm, I'm glancing around here as we're chatting. Um, I don't see one. Oh, it's right over there. Um, every single one of these departments has a binder. So they have actually a physical binder and it literally details every single step of the process. We have the digital version as well, um, but some people prefer to be able to you know, flip it open while they're doing things on their computer and see it. So we are an extremely well-documented, well-systematized organization. And what I would say for those listening is this, what I love, and I'm highly creative, I'm not a detail-oriented person, but what I love as a leader about having systems and processes in place is this, that when mistakes are made, which they're going to be made, the process is where we first go. We first go to the process and say, okay, is the process, is the system broken? Is there something here that needs to be adjusted? And then if the, if the conversation comes back, well, I didn't follow the process, that's a different conversation exactly. that says, okay, now you understand why the process is here, why it's important. And getting that buy-in around the systems and processes. Um, the only way you can get the buy-in is by having them follow the systems and processes and then holding them accountable. Mm -hmm. Meaning just like I just gave the example, when something is off, we don't blame the person, we go to the process or the system. 
Excellent. Yeah. To me, it's kind of like a recipe. You know, if I have a recipe for a chocolate cake and I follow it, I'm going to end up with a chocolate cake. If I give you the recipe, you'll create an almost identical chocolate cake. If you come up with banana bread or sugar cookies, then only one of two things could happen. Either you didn't get the right recipe or you didn't follow that recipe. And so you can narrow it down really quickly. The other thing I like is when the employees actually help craft the process. You know, they, they understand what needs to be done. Help If they help build it, they're a lot more likely to follow the process and make sure everybody else is following the process. Yeah, that's, that's cool. so true. And then um, it makes it easier too, I guess, to if somebody was out and somebody had to step in and do something, you could move somebody over and say, here's the book. They're about in this spot. You know, they can, they can jump in and, and do what they need to do. Yeah. So when we were, you know, in the earlier days of really building out these systems and processes, so it was, it was like you said, so the individual who owns that process was the one responsible for creating it. And the term that we use is that it should be off the street process and off the street process, meaning Perfect. somebody walking down the street, we should be able to pull them in the office and say, Hey, you know, this person's caught in sick today. Here's the binder. Here's where they are. Follow these steps. That's how detailed the process or the system needs to be. Excellent. That is cool. And then when you hire people, I know that's some of my clients are really struggling with being able to hire, you know, there's for whatever reason, um, attracting, hiring and retaining those really great employees and stuff. How do you do it? You've got a, a pretty good team working for you now. How do you do that? How do you hire and, and attract and keep those, those great employees? Sure. It's, it's a, it's a, really tough question to answer because there's so many elements that go into it. Um, a few just quick points that come to mind is number one, our hiring process is extremely long. So to, to make it quote unquote on our team, um, you're going to have to jump through a bunch of hoops, a lot of interviews, a lot of assignments, um, you know, and that's not just busy work. Again, we, we check for culture. Um, we check for, their capacity to perform in their specific role. Um, you know, we check for, so, you know, culture, competency, we check for their ability to think on their feet. We check for, you know, it's all um, role specific. So we have, you know, mock exercises that people will go through um, depending on the role they're applying for. So if we're hiring someone, for example, who's going to be answering the telephone, we're going to have them answer, answer the actual telephone during their application, during their interview process. We want to see how they handle the phone. We want to see how they handle someone on the phone who may be upset or someone who's asking for something they don't know what to do about. Nice. Um, so, you know, I think the, the B side to that, so, you know, I could dive into any more that you want to hear about all the individual steps we go through, but the B side to that, I think, is that when an organization is intentional about the culture that they create, um, your culture is going to attract and it's going to repel certain people away. Yep. Um, and, you know, at first that can be a little harsh to understand. Like I thought we were great for everyone. I thought we were, you know, this amazing company, great culture, all these things. Um, but what you have to understand is not everyone is going to fit the culture that you are building and that's okay. It, it took me some time to accept that, right? Because, you know, we want to think that we're, we're really good and that we, you know, do all these things. And um, so I would say that that's the other thing is, is that your culture should be repelling people who would not be a good fit to be a part of that culture. Exactly. Very cool. And, and how would you define your culture? What is your culture like? 
I would say that our culture, I would define it as a self-accountable high performance culture, which makes a lot of people who come from outside, it's a very uncomfortable initial place to be because of the radical transparency, mm-hmm. um, because of the openness, um, it can make it, you know, in so many organizations, people are used to hiding. They're used to hiding behind excuses or hiding behind a system or a process, right? Well, I followed the thing and it still didn't go well. In our situation, okay, you follow the thing, it didn't go well. So what did you change in the process so that that doesn't happen again? Um, so yeah, I don't know if that answers it, but that, yeah. that's... It definitely does. Absolutely. And you work with a lot of creative type people too. Is that challenging or is that easy and fun? Um, yeah, I mean, I would say that the, my, my off the cuff answer would be, it can be challenging, even though I identify as a creative person, right? I'm, I'm highly creative. I think, um, it can be challenging, but the flip side of that equation, when I really think about it, or the flip side of that answer is that, um, every single person can be challenging to work with, depending on the perspective from which you are working with that person. Okay. So if I'm a super detail oriented person, it's going to be easy for me to work with other detail oriented people. If I'm highly creative, it may be easy for me to work with that. And so I think that as leaders, I think it's, it's so important that we learn to approach it from that other perspective. And we talk a lot about this here is, is the learning to fill the gaps with trust rather than with suspicion. And I think that's so important working with other people, especially those who don't have the same temperament or the same, um, skill sets that we have. Absolutely. Yeah. The creatives, uh, their mind works different than, than most people, you know? So yeah, definitely. Um, would you do it all over again the same way if you were to start over, would you, would you leave sales and, and go off and do something else? Would you start your lawn care business? Yeah. I, I, I don't have any regrets about, you know, that decision. I have no regrets about selling the lawn business and plunging into, you know, ugly mug marketing. Um, the regrets that I have is that, you know, when I came out of selling the lawn care company, uh, I was 26 years old when I sold it. And, um, you know, I had an ego because of that. You know, I was very young, had a very successful organization um, and sold it. And so I came into Ugly Mug Marketing believing that I had it all figured out and that this would be a cakewalk. And because of that ego, because of my pride, I spent, you know, six years of sheer misery um, because of my own inability to see the truth or even to seek the truth. I attempted to avoid seeking the truth. Yeah. So what are your plans going forward? Are you looking to grow? Are you looking to franchise? What, uh, what's in the future? Yeah, my, my answer, Coach Harlan, is... <laughs> lackluster. Um, but I'm fond of saying, you know, just get a little bit better each day. And, you know, when we stay consistent, which was one of my, you know, my favorite word, when we stay consistent to our core values, when we stay consistent to our mission, when we stay consistent to our vision, to doing the things that, that everyone knows they should be doing, but are unwilling to do, um, that little bit better each day, has a compounding effect. And that compounding effect does equal the growth. But in the moment, it's the day-to-day 
execution. It's the, you know, coach John Wooden, whenever he would bring in the new recruits, it's the teaching them the first day how to put on their socks, right? It's teaching them how to tie their shoes. That is what we have to remember to execute on day after day. It's the the little monotonous things that annoy us, that aggravate us, that we think we're above. But it's those things when done consistently that produce such a powerful compound effect for not just our business, but for our clients as well. Excellent. That is perfect. And I hope everybody was taking notes because that is key right there. Everybody needs to hear that. Yeah, the system's in place and being patient and improving a little little bit at a time. That's perfect. Um, Wayne, this has been awesome. Thank you so much for being on the uh, on the show. If people want to want to follow you, where can they find you? What's your website? Sure. The simplest place is our website. Um, it's just uglymugmarketing.com. Perfect. All of our email addresses, social media stuff, it's all there on the website. Everything is there. Perfect. That is awesome. Well, I will make sure that that, uh, that website link is in the show notes so everybody can reach out to you. And uh, yeah, this has been fun. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show and good luck to you guys. Thank you so much, Coach Harlan. I greatly enjoyed our chat. And uh, I'd just like to leave everyone with this one little phrase to think about. It ties back to my favorite word, consistency. Um, we believe that consistency creates miracles. So whether that's in our businesses, whether that's for us as leaders, or whether that's in our personal lives or our family lives, consistency will create miracles, but we have to be consistent. Awesome. Love it. I see a t-shirt <laughs> with that on. That'd be awesome. Very cool. I'll give you full credit for it though. All right. Wayne, thank careful. you so much. Thanks so much for, uh, for being on the show. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes because there's a lot of good uh, takeaways from this. Um, if you did appreciate this episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 